Coming up on episode 78 of the Keto Camp Podcast, we have hormone health expert, Dr. Carrie Jones. Everything is modifiable, whether it's through diet and lifestyle, whether it's through supplementation, both like that's what's so great is that you can be very proactive when you learn this stuff as a person like oh you mean if i do this thing my acne can improve yeah absolutely you mean if i eat this food my risk for breast cancer can go down yeah actually it can and it's really exciting for people I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. What's up, Keto Camper? Grateful to be here with you today on this amazing day. We have a leader in hormonal health, Dr. Carrie Jones, on today's podcast. I really enjoyed this episode with Dr. Carrie, and if you've been following her work, you can relate to this feeling of how brilliant she really is. On this episode, we're gonna talk about ways to balance your hormones, okay? We have over 600 hormones in the body. They are chemical messengers and we just want them to communicate to the cells so they can burn fat, they can help us feel good, and we can live a long, healthy life. Well, she's gonna break down some simple, practical tips for you to do so. We're gonna talk about estrogen balance, estrogen dominance, how to increase testosterone, how to properly detox and prevent disease, the dangers of the birth control pill, how to reverse constipation and get things moving along, how to test your hormones, what's the most accurate way to test, cortisol awakening response, some morning routine tips for you to really make a big difference for your hormones and your energy levels, and so much more. And we are going to geek out on the science and the research, so stay tuned for that. Before we get into this episode with Dr. Kerry Jones, I want to thank you and say I am so grateful you chose the Keto Camp Podcast. Out of all the podcasts out there, you're here with me today, and that really means a lot. Here at Keto Camp, we are on a mission to inspire and educate 1 billion people on planet Earth. And I'm grateful that you're with me because you are part of the mission. I wanna get to the review of the week here on Apple iTunes. And this is gonna come from Curious One, 88. The title is Genius, I love this podcast. Thanks, Ben. The Keto Camp Podcast is hands down, informative and fun with incredibly well executed format. Starts with a great teaser intro. Ben tells us exactly what we're going to be listening to, and then he gets right in. Ben Azadi is genuinely interested in caring health researcher and expert. I have learned so much from the benefits of a banana tea peel, heavy metal toxicity, environmental toxins, and how to not be overwhelmed, but incrementally make changes in my household that will make a difference, including getting our first shower filter. We'll eventually get one every for every sink in the house. I oh, love that. I love listening to Ben Azadi 
on Keto Everything. He is fantastic, and I highly recommend his podcast, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Ben is a good guy. Thanks, Ben, for your wealth of insights and knowledgeable facts and guests. Wow, I want to say thank you, Curious188. That was quite the review. Uh, Honestly, it means so much to read that, and uh, I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple iTunes. It really makes a big difference for the show. So if you haven't done so already, please do so because it's going to help this information, which is transformational. It's going to help it get into other people's hands if you just take a few seconds here to leave that review. Also, please take a screenshot of this episode on your phone and then upload it to your Instagram story or your Instagram profile and tag me in it. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi. That is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. And tag Dr. Carrie Jones. She is at Dr. Period Carrie Jones. We'll be sure, I'll be sure to see that and upload it on my story. And we'll get some other Keto Campers following you back. Use the hashtag Keto Camper Keto Campers too. We'll be sure to see that. This episode of the Keto Camp Podcast is sponsored by the world's healthiest oil, which is my favorite keto oil, olive oil. But here's the deal. Not all olive oil is created equal. Here's how you know if you have a good one or you have a bad one. Go to your kitchen today, take a tablespoon of that olive oil you have in your cupboard and drink it. If it goes down your throat and burns the throat, makes your tongue a little fuzzy and possibly make you cough, hey, that's a good sign right there. It means It is loaded in polyphenols and antioxidants and these compounds that are going to help you reduce inflammation, burn fat, and feel good. If on the other hand, it goes down smooth and you don't really feel anything, which most olive oils do, then that's a sign that it's not one of the good ones. I have spent a lot of money at Whole Foods and these high-end grocery uh, stores for the best olive oil, but I still haven't found anything as good as the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They are picking these olives from four different regions all across the world. So it's picked seasonally, fresh pressed, first harvest, and then put on a jet delivered to my door. It's an amazing club. And I want you to try out the fresh pressed olive oil club. There is a $39 bottle of their amazing olive oil that you can get today for one buck. If you head over to ketocampoliveoil.com, you could get this $39 bottle for a buck over at ketocampoliveoil.com. Remember that's camp with a K. So cheers to an amazing polyphenol rich olive oil that you can use for your salad dressings, for your food that you cook with, and just take a shot here and there to bring down inflammation. Okay, let's get into this episode now so we could chat with the amazing Dr. Kerry Jones. Dr. Kerry Jones is a naturopathic physician with a master's in public health, having over 12 years in the field of functional and integrative medicine. As adjunct faculty for the National University of Natural Medicine, she has taught courses in both gynecology and advanced endocrinology. She has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland, Oregon, and currently the medical director for Precision Analytical Incorporated, Creators of the most cutting-edge hormone test on the market, the Dutch test, which we'll get into, by the way, on this show. As a result, Dr. Carey consults with the most amazing healthcare practitioners all over the world on the hormone status of their patients and lectures, teaches, writes frequently on the same topic. She really is a badass at what she does. You got to check her out on Instagram. 
Understanding adrenal, thyroid, and sex hormones is complicated. Her job is not to judge, but to educate and empower. Dr. Carrie Jones, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Oh my gosh. Lovely to be here. It's long overdue. I've been such a huge fan of your work, especially on Instagram. You've got one of the best health Instagrams I've ever seen, and I get so much value from it. And you got to be following Dr. Carrie Jones. And we'll talk all about the cool things you're doing with the Dutch test and all the cool things you're up to. But before we do, I'd love to hear and share your story with how you got into the health space. What got you inspired to get involved with what you're doing today? Well, so I have known since I was a very little girl that I wanted to go into medicine. And so I knew women's health is what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a midwife. I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN. I was going to deliver babies. And then when I got into college and I was pre-med, I was working at two different hospitals. One hospital I volunteered at was, did a lot of community outreach, blood sugar education, weight loss, exercise. It was a lot of working with the community, education, and I just loved it. The other hospital, I worked in the pediatric wing, and it was very sterile, and it was very, take this medication, you need this surgery, terrible bedside manner, you know, make sure the room is completely, you know, sterilized afterwards, street them and treat them, or treat them and street them, and I was like, there's a time and a place, but this is not my time, and it's not my place, and what I decided to do instead, as anyone in my shoes, is I thought, oh, I'll move to Oregon, so I moved from the Midwest, where I was going to school, on a whim, I moved to Portland, Oregon, and that's where I found naturopathic medicine, and I ended up in naturopathic medical school. Once I learned what it, um, more of a holistic approach, right, a naturopathic approach, really about education uh, and how I could do women's health that way, that's what got me into it. And I just continued. I stuck with women's health, hormones, it's the only thing I know. I decided not to deliver babies, but I continued on with the women's health. And I joke to people all the time. Like if you, People will ask me about their kids. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea about your kids. Don't ask me, you know, or it's like my husband will be like, my, my knee hurts. I'm like, babe, no, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? But if you've got a problem, you know, with estrogen detox, if you're, something's gone with your vagina, like I, I can help that. Yeah. You stay in your lane. I, I totally respect that. And I have a very, I have a very strict lane for sure. Yeah. And, and you're, you're the pro at what you do. And that's for a reason. You don't spread yourself too wide. You go deep into a, a couple of categories and that's women's health which we'll get into, but I want to know what made you choose Portland out of all the places you could have gone to? <laughs> so the real story is that a girlfriend of mine in college was uh, chasing a boy and he was a year ahead of us. And she, he happened to move to Portland and she said, I don't want to move to Portland by myself. You're not going to medical school anymore. Any chance you want to move to Portland with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Portland sounds great. And that's what we did. I followed her out to Portland so she could uh, chase the boy. Supportive friends. She didn't get the boy. She didn't get the boy, but she has a much, she's an, she's an amazing boy and an amazing family. So it worked out for both of us completely in the end. Awesome. It always works out, doesn't it? Yeah. The universe, the universe is smart like that. It does. It does. So uh, was it a a challenge for you to go to conventional school, conventional medical school, learn what they're teaching and then kind of unlearn that and relearn more of the holistic approach? Well, so in naturopathic school, we have to learn both. So in the state of Oregon, where I am, we are considered primary care physicians. And not every state allows this for NDs by far. I mean, Florida, like we're pretty much illegal in the state of Florida. But in the state of Oregon, I had to learn how to diagnose, how to treat, how to work somebody up in a conventional method. I had to learn what medications I would give. I had to learn minor surgery, all as part of my naturopathic training. 
Then on top of that, I learned all the naturopathic principles, herbs, homeopathy, think, you know, more going holistic, diet, lifestyle, sleep, risk factor mitigation, all of that on top of it. So I had a really varied, diverse education, which made it great for the state that I was in. I know not everybody gets this kind of education. And I definitely, I definitely walked the line. Like I can absolutely say to somebody, yeah, you know what? Your pneumonia is pretty severe. You need to be on antibiotics and in, you know, an inhaler and I need to follow up with you. And on the flip side, I absolutely use a lot of herbal medication. I use homeopathy when it's needed. I like essential oils. You know, I like um, Bach flower remedies. I refer people for acupuncture. Like I'm definitely, I, you know, I sort of lean both sides of the road when it comes to medication our medicine, medication versus sort of um, a more holistic approach. Yeah, I think that's fantastic uh, because you're not putting yourself in, in any box, either holistically or with the conventional norm. And you, you look at it as uh, a case-by-case scenario. And I, I agree, there's a time and place for surgery, there's a time and place for antibiotics, and then there's a time and place for herbs and other things that you can use. So I love that you have both lenses on, on your patients, and that's really cool. I, I'd like to know, I know you specialize in women's health. What's the main problem that you see? <laughs> I'm trying to word this correctly. I know you see many, but what's the most common one that you see with women's health? There's like, uh, how would I describe this? There's like the metabolism category. And by metabolism, I mean either energy metabolism, so I'm tired, or actual metabolism, I've gained weight and I can't lose it. And then there's the hormonal category of I have PMS, I have endometriosis, PCOS, adenomyosis, I can't get pregnant, I have a history of miscarriages, my menopause is awful. So it's kind of these two camps, and obviously the two camps can overlap. I'll have women come in and go, I am so tired, I can't lose weight, and my hot flashes suck, just as much as I'll have somebody who's pretty much, you know, just has one camp or the other. So it usually falls in those two categories. Yeah, and the, for me, what I've seen most common is, is is similar. It's definitely I would just want more energy. I have no energy. I wake up and uh, my cortisol awakening response. They're not going to say that, but their cortisol awakening response is shot. So let's talk about the energy. How does one go about that? If, if they wake up and it takes them about two hours just to get things up and running, and they have to have coffee, they have to have these stimulants. What's something you would uh, educate for that person? So first thing I tell people is that there are a lot of reasons for low energy. Everyone just assumes it's cortisol, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's got to be my cortisol. I'm super tired. I'm like, well, remember, it could be something like B12. You might be B12 deficient. You might be anemic. It might be a thyroid issue. It might be a cortisol issue. Um, it, It may be just the fact that you sleep like crap. You know, you don't hit your deep sleep. You're sleeping with somebody who's snoring. You yourself snore. You know, you you co sleep, which I'm not opposed to, but just it can get in the way for a lot of moms and dads. We're trying to get some solid sleep. And so what I first do is really try to, of course, look at the cause, like what's really going on and test. But when I do test, I'm looking for these things. I'm looking for low cortisol. I'm looking to see if their iron or ferritin markers aren't that great. I'm looking to see if their B12 is even just suboptimal. Because we all talk about, you know, there's the range and then there's the more optimal range. Because if the range is 10 to 100 and you're 11, it's, you know, you get told, oh, you're in range. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, you are, but not really. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, I'm super tired when I wake up in the morning, I, you know, I need two to three cups of coffee. I'm not quite alert. I start with cortisol, but I definitely make sure I run the gamut and not miss something. Yeah. I love that. How important is it to get some morning sunlight? Uh, I mean, oh, I mean, so important. Like, I mean, I don't mean pun intended, like it's night and day difference, right? Like for the people who, 
lay in bed in their dark room and play on their phone. I'm like, no, you have to at least get up, open your curtains, and then go back in bed and play on your phone. At least get some sunlight in and train your eyes because it's the sunlight into your eyes, the brightness, the full spectrum light into your eyes that goes to your brain that says, hey, brain, we've woken up. It's time to go. And you've got about a 20 to 30 minute kickoff where you switch from I'm conscious, I have my eyes open, to I'm alert and ready to go. And so it's a very good like clinical pearl question for people. Like how long does it take you to be alert in the morning? And some people like for myself, I mean, definitely mornings, you know, I'm a slower, slow to go, but I'm generally a morning person within 20 to 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'm up. I'm at him. I'm, you know, feeding my dog, letting him out downstairs, making tea, drinking water, getting ready to work out happy versus other people as your example. It takes me two hours. I need two cups of coffee. I'm like, okay that you're not making that switch in your brain. There's definitely something going on and we need to help it. Yeah, for me, it's, it's my morning routine is essential for my day. If I, if I don't have my 60 minutes that I block out, I walk my dog, I do my meditation, I do my Joe Dispenza uh, meditation, I'm getting sunlight. I'm lucky and blessed to live in Miami where there's a lot of sun because <laughs> every morning the sun rises and it's, it's beaming over here. But what if somebody is in Seattle, Portland or London where they get overcast? What are some things they can do? So first of all, overcast is still okay. I tell people, even if it is overcast, still open up your curtains, still, you know, if as long as it's not like raining and cold necessarily, go outside, go get about five, 10 minutes of fresh air and fresh light. But if you wake up when it's dark, right? Lots of people now this time of year wake up and they're like, well, I get up at six, it's still black outside. Like, all right, time to get a full spectrum light. So time to get on Amazon, time to do some research on full spectrum, broad spectrum light that gives you the sensation as if you're outside on a sunny day with blue sky, that's what you're going for. And you turn it on, there's like a box or a lamp or like an overhanging thing that can overhang your computer. And you turn it on in the morning for, you know, 10 minutes up to a couple hours. I definitely know people who have the box in their office and they have one at home and they they, they'll turn it on and then you want it. I mean, you kind of want it within eye view. You know, I tell people you don't have to stare at it and have to like blind yourself looking at it, but don't just set it on the counter and walk away and hope it's good enough to light the room. Like you want it when you're getting ready. I tell women, Hey, when you're getting ready, when you're drying your hair, if you're putting on makeup or what have you, like set it on the bathroom counter right there. When you get to work, have it on your desk while you're typing and turn it on. And it can make a world of difference. If you do lay in bed, if you're that person who lays in bed and plays on your phone, then have it have it on your bedside table, you know, and just turn it on. And eventually over time, it trains the brain. We get up in the morning. We get up in the morning. We get up in the morning. Because I get asked, well, how long does it take to retrain it? I'm like, well, how long have you trained it to be, you know, really tired? How long have you trained it to like lay in bed and hit snooze four times? How long have you trained it to be to be like a low cortisol response? And most people are like, oh, years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, well, it's, yeah, it's going to take some time. It's going to take a couple, couple weeks, but it, man, it can work. It can work really, really well. Yeah, I, I agree. Once you get into the routine of doing that, you'll you'll create those new neural pathways and all of a sudden it, it's second nature. According to University of College London, they say it takes 66 days to create that new neural groove. I believe uh, it. I believe it too. Some people could be 30 days, some people 90 days, but that average is 66 days. So if you stick and stay, uh, it's bound to pay. What about something like a, a sauna space, um, photon beam or a juve red light therapy? Will that help as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. hundred percent. And you can do both. I'll tell people like get, you know, open up your blackout curtains and then turn your light on, do whatever you do in the morning, whether it's a five or 10 minute routine. Some people get right into their sauna. Some people turn their juvum on immediately. And I'm like, that's great. That's great. Go ahead and do that. And it will make a world of difference for a number of reasons, right? Sauna and, and juve, like 
that red light therapy does so much for other things, mitochondria and things like that. Yeah, exactly. That's just one of the benefits. Yeah, I have mine right here. Actually, every so when I when I finish with my walk, I'll come back on my office and then I'll do the Joe Dispenza meditation while I have this on me for 30 minutes or so, 20, 20 to 30 minutes. That's my morning routine. And I don't check my phone because to me, it's like playing Russian roulette. If I wake up and check my phone, it could be a great text message from somebody or a wonderful comment on Instagram or a problem I have to solve. And all of a sudden, I'm scrambling and my day is destroyed. So uh, I protect and my And you're always thinking, time. right? You're always thinking back to that. Like, I need to deal with that. I need to deal with that right now. Oh, I'll just deal with it real quick. And then I'll go for a walk or and then I'll get some light or and then, right? But then the and then doesn't happen because you just keep domino affecting trying to solve and fix and what have you. And you're right. It could be a super great morning. You could have super great positive feedback, but you can't all the time. that. Not all the time. We all know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I protect my morning routine and I make sure I don't, because the, also the subconscious mind is very impressionable first thing in the morning. So if you're waking up and watching the news or putting that stuff into your subconscious mind, then it's going to just uh, manifest in, in your day-to-day. -day. So uh, these are just some, some tips that you could take away. Uh, take a couple things that we're talking about here and see what resonates with you. And I know, and, and Carrie knows that it'll make a big difference for, for your day. You, you win the morning, you own the day. I'm a big believer of that. And the other one is supplements too. I think people forget um, when it comes to that cortisol awakening response that you mentioned earlier, you've got about, like I said, 20 to 30 minutes to make a difference. So you want to be getting the light within 20 to 30 minutes, but you also want to be considering to take your morning supplements within 20 to 30 minutes. So if you have been prescribed some kind of adrenal supplement, B vitamins, maybe vitamin C, whatever it is, some sort of tea that you're supposed to make to you know improve your energy and well-being and cortisol and mitochondria, you want to do it right away. Because what most people do is they get up, they do their morning routine, they eat, they shower, they go to work, and then they take their supplements, which can be helpful for the mid-morning. But if you're tired on waking, then you have to address it on waking. And I know that some vitamins are a pain on an empty stomach. You know, a lot of people don't like B vitamins. It makes them nauseous, I understand. Then maybe choose the other vitamins. If you've been given an herbal blend or vitamin C or something, I'm like, you know, do that in the morning right when you wake up. Which leads to the next question is, oh, I take thyroid first thing in the morning. Can I take these with thyroid? Run them by your practitioner. As a matter of fact, a lot of supplements you can take with thyroid. They're specific. You can't. Iron, calcium, magnesium, um, things with phytates in them. But there are a number of adaptogens, vitamin C, things like that, that you actually can take within a couple minutes or within 30 minutes of your thyroid medication. And it's, it's actually fine. It's not going to hinder uh, absorption. So, you know, it's just you do what you can. But timing is everything. Timing is everything. And I don't think people realize that. Yeah, that's an important message. Timing is everything. So if you have those supplements, those teas, it's best to have it first thing in the morning when you're supposed to have it. What are some teas specifically that help with uh, adrenal health and just morning energy? So there's a number of teas out there that have like like a licorice blends in them. You know, there's some that have adaptogens in them that have like eleutherococcus and, and ashwagandha and um, just other you know, supportive herbs that are helpful. So there's detox, you know, type teas. And even though like I know the detox tea industry is a joke, but the actual herbs in them sometimes are actually quite adaptogenic. So they're not going to like make you lose 50 pounds in a week, but they may actually be really nutritive and supportive, assuming you get an organic company that's using appropriate, you know, tea bags, not tea bags that are full of plastic. And so things, you know, you can drink those teas in the morning and still feel good about yourself and, and what you're doing. And it's going to be really helpful for your entire brain down to adrenal access. Like every morning I drink green tea. Oh, you do? 
I don't do coffee. I do green tea every morning. And so um, that's my that's my go-to. Is, is it matcha or is it regular green tea? Um, in the morning, I do regular green tea. Yep, in the morning. Jasmine. Jasmine is my favorite. Jasmine, some sort of jasmine green tea. And then usually either mid-morning or mid-afternoon, I'll do, if I, if I need it, I'll do matcha for the theanine effect. So do you work out after you have the green tea? Do you work out on an empty stomach? I work out on an empty stomach and I usually have the green tea after only because I don't have the patience to make it and drink it and then work out uh, in the morning. I usually get up and work out first thing. I will let my dog out. <laughs> the dog is definitely part of my routine, right? Let my dog out, feed my dog. And I will either work out and then walk my dog or walk my dog and then work out. And then I do, you know, my lemon water and my tea. Awesome. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about the role fat plays, healthy fats play with our hormones. How important is it to get the right fats for hormonal health? Super important, super important. And I think uh, people realize this when you are too underweight, right? There's the fat-free fad that went on forever and ever. Don't eat fat, fat's bad for you. And then women's hormones just you know, went to hell in a handbasket because cholesterol is the backbone to all of our hormones. We need that healthy fat to even make a hormone in the first place. And I think a lot of people forget that when it comes to basic biochemistry. And so when I talk to women who were like, oh, I don't eat, I don't eat fat, I'm on, a, I'm on a completely fat-free diet, I don't believe in fat, fat scares me, fat makes you fat. Like, right, except you ha- you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant, your skin doesn't look good, you're breaking out, your hair is greasy or, or dry and falling out, sort of depending. And I'm like, we need to change your diet. We need to get you that, that fat, one, to make a hormone, but two, just to make your cellular health that much better. You know, your cell membranes are, are lipid bilayers. So we, we, need, we need lipids. We need lipids to make them fluid and happy so the hormone that's made on the inside can, you know, get out to the outside and, and circulate around. So it's, that's really important. Yeah. And then we know with athletes, right? Uh, like gym, think of gym, your classic gymnast, your classic like runner, professional runner. I see these girls in high school that are distance runners and they're just, you know, total bean poles. And I would see them as patients all the time. And all the time, I'm like, tell me about your cycle. And they're like, well, I haven't had one in six months. Well, I haven't had one in a year. Well, I get it sporadically. And I understand, I know it's really, stru- it's hard because they're in a sport they love and they're trying to get to nationals or maybe even pre-Olympic or college. And, and yet, you know, it's completely destroyed their hormones because their body fat percent has dropped down so much was they stay competitive. And it's, it's, it's tough, it's tough on the hormones, which then makes it tough on the brain, tough on the bones tough on the heart, tough on the skin, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they're tied in. Like you can't separate one from the other. I used to own a CrossFit gym in, uh, here in Miami for a few years. And I used to see that a few times uh, where the, the, the female members, they stopped having their period and they would come to me and ask me what they should do. And I say, train less, you know, stop working out so much, get, get an extra hour of sleep or do some stretching or walking uh, because the body is not going to want to have a baby if it's in survival mode, right? What, what exactly is happening there? There's a feedback loop. And so uh, when you, so when you're stressed now, again, like we think of stress is like, oh, a bad text, a bad job, a fight with a partner. You know, we think of like external stress, but internal stress can happen as well. I, I got an email from a woman who does soul cycle twice a day, six days a week. And she said, I haven't had a period in, in months. And I, you know, do you think I'm exercising too hard? And I was like, yeah, kind of. What happens is that chronic ongoing maxing exercise raises cortisol. When you make a lot of cortisol, it tells there's a feedback loop. There's a switch in the brain that goes, oh, that's a lot of cortisol. Then the hormone that makes, tells the body to make estrogen and progesterone goes down. Because the brain's like, well, if I'm constantly running, training, you know, maxing out, 
we don't have time to raise a baby. I don't have time to get pregnant. I don't have time to grow a baby. I don't have time to feed a baby. So we're not going to make a baby. And so cortisol tells the brain to tell the ovaries, don't make estrogen. Don't make progesterone. Not now. And so the ovaries go, okay, right? They're at the direction of the brain. And so as women, we lose ovulation, which is usually the first to go. We don't ovulate. Therefore, we don't make progesterone. Now we're estrogen dominant. And then over time, we lose estrogen as well. We often lose our cycles. We'll become irregular cycle. And then we start to have bone issues, skin issues, brain issues, things like that. Yeah. It's it's a signal. And so just like you said, where you tell women like, hey, go for a walk. And not like a competitive walk. Because how many times have you told a, you know, a woman like, hey, go for a walk. And she's like, as fast as she can, you know, squeezing you know, her legs and her buns as she's going. And I'm like, not that kind of walk. It's the kind of walk where you like stroll in your neighborhood and check out your neighbor's houses. Like that kind of walk. You know, do stretching, do yoga, but maybe not like extreme hot yoga for an hour and a half. <laughs> Just do nourishing yoga, you know. Yeah, great advice there. So I want to go back to the fat component. Yeah, our cells are made up of fat. Our cell membrane, protein, saturated fat, cholesterol, the brain, 70, 80% fat. We know that it's important. What are some of your favorite fats that you like, you personally like to eat? I do a lot of, personally, my body responds well to a lot of olive oil. I do a lot of olive oil and I do a lot of avocado. I do a lot of fish oil. Um, I do higher dose. I'll do four to five grams of fish oil, EPA, DHA a day for myself. And I feel amazing when I do that. Now I've done you know, my genetics sort of several times over. And I've had a few people who've read my outcome who are like, oh, you need more fish oil than the average person. Like, Great. Okay. I can do that. Whereas most people are taking, you know, 500 or a thousand milligrams. And so you, you can take more. So that's usually, but again, that's what works for, for my body. What I do, I do eat meat, which of course there's, there's fat and meat. I do fatty fish. I like salmon. I do. I live in the Pacific Northwest. We get a lot of great salmon. And so those are some of the things that I look at. What what are some of the bad fats that that do the opposite of what we're talking about here? Oh, things like, you know, well, think of all your fried foods, right? French fries and chicken tenders and all that, the peanut oil, the canola oil, uh, the soybean oil that they're they're frying those foods in. Like those are all the ones that sort of ruin our uh, antioxidant status, right? They're the ones that are, are become, become rancid really easily. They're the ones that are maybe causing damage to the body and therefore making us feel terrible. When you sit down and eat a basket of fries, I guarantee you most people don't get up and go, that was amazing. I feel so healthy. I feel so good. My hormones were singing after that one. <laughs> yeah, and we may never. need it, right? Like I'm like we all, you know, we've all had a basket of fries, but definitely we don't get up from a basket of fries and go, that was the same as eating a salad. <laughs> yeah, no, that never happens. Yeah. So the so the industrial seed oils, the vegetable oils, the fried foods definitely want to avoid or limit those as much as possible. As much as you can. And obviously, you know, you you, you do the best you can. You know, I have yes. people that are like, I can't, like that's pretty impossible. I'm like, just just do what you can, baby steps. That's all right. If you're new to this, it's just go one step at a time. Exactly. And my shirt says beat yesterday, and that's exactly what, what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to read your shirt earlier. Like <laughs> I could see the beat, but not the yesterday. Yeah. So that's exactly what why I have this shirt because it reminds myself and other people that you don't have to be perfect. You just gotta beat yesterday. It's small steps that really it's that compound effect that add up. And a lot of the information that we talk about here and on the podcast and on my YouTube channel, it could be overwhelming to a lot of people. And they're like, oh my God, toxicity of the cells and silver fillings and root canals and, and uh, estrogen dominance. So just start with one thing. You start with one thing that resonated with you. You get good at that and then you add something else. And that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. And the same goes for hormones. The same goes, you know, and especially when you're hormonal, man, male or female, it doesn't matter. When you're hormonal, then everything's 
doubly overwhelming, you know, because you're already feeling unbalanced in the hormones. Therefore, you're going to sort of feel unbalanced in everything that you do. And it's going to make it more, feel more of a challenge. And it's just, you'll get there. It's fine. Exactly. You'll get there. Just keep going. Yeah, exactly. I want to talk about the Dutch test. The Dutch test is, I, I run it on all of my one-on-one clients. It's such an amazing test. It gives me some good data. It doesn't give me cause, but it gives me a lot of good data to what's going on with the hormones and with the adrenal glands. So talk about the Dutch test and let's go deep into this, this test that I love so much. <laughs> my favorite test, your favorite yeah. test. So the Dutch test, it's an acronym. It stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. We do not test for Dutch heritage, although I do. I just got asked that the other weekend. And so <laughs> it's basically a test where you urinate on pieces of filter paper. Um, for women, I say it's like when you took a pregnancy test or an LH test, you just urinate on these pieces of filter paper four, if not five times in a day, because you want the circadian rhythm, you let the filter paper dry, fold it up, mail it back to the lab. The reason it's really handy is because you get the circadian rhythm in the day. I'm going to tell you your cortisol. I'm going to tell you your melatonin. I'm going to tell you your DHEA. I'm going to give you this, this, this look of your energy or not through your day. But the urine part of it, which was what makes it so fancy, is that we get your hormones and we get where your hormones are going. So you make a hormone, men and women, you make an estrogen because men make estrogen, but it has to go somewhere. You have to detoxify it out of the body once it's done. So you go through phase one, phase two, and phase three detox. And in the Dutch test, we give you phase one and phase two, which are predominantly done in the liver. Now, phase three is done in the intestines. That's stool testing. We're not a stool company. We don't test poop. So at least we can give you phase one and two. When it comes to testosterone, women who are like, I got my blood work done um, and it's normal, but yet I have acne, acne on the jawline. I have hair growth in places I don't want. It's thick and coarse and dark. I'm losing the hair on my head. I'm getting a receding hairline. What is going on? I can look at her pattern on a Dutch test and go, oh, you make testosterone normally, but when you are done with it and you process it, it's going down that pathway that's causing acne and hair growth and hair loss on your head and all this stuff. And the great thing is, like regards to estrogen, regards to testosterone, everything is modifiable, whether it's through diet and lifestyle, whether it's through supplementation, both. Like that's what's so great is that you can be very proactive when you learn this stuff as a person. Like, oh, you mean if I do this thing, my acne can improve? Yeah, absolutely. You mean if I eat this food, my risk for breast cancer can go down? Yeah, actually it can. And it's really exciting for people. It's a great test to see somebody's risk of breast cancer because it shows you the three pathways the estrogen is going down and it will show you if it's going to cause some DNA damage. So you have a, a great analogy about uh, a bathtub analogy. Could you give that and explain exactly what that is? My cloth at bathtub, yes. And, it, <laughs> yeah. and it's always a cloth at bathtub because if you've heard me talk before, it's, it's, I'm, I'm extra, therefore my bathtub is extra. <laughs> so when, you, when you, you have estrogen, man, male or female, you make an estrogen, you're done with your estrogen, your estrogen goes down three pathways. You go down a two pathway, a four pathway, or a 16 pathway. So the two pathways considered less carcinogenic. It's the more ideal pathway you want, less cancer risk. There's still some, but less. The four pathway is the most carcinogenic. If you go down that pathway, your risk for damaging DNA is the highest. The 16 pathway, we call it the proliferative pathway. It makes things grow. Great for bones, bad for things like breast tissue, bad for things like the lining of the uterus, and now you have heavy periods or clots, polyps, things like that. So you have these three options. That's the water coming into your bathtub. What kind of water do you have? Is it two? Is it four? Is it 16? Is it coming in fast? Is it coming in slow? 
Now, once you have that water, you have to neutralize it. That's your drain. When you neutralize it, you go through a process called methylation. Methylation basically is where you take that 2,416 and make it less reactive. You neutralize it. Once you get into the drain, now you have to get out of the sewer line, out of your house, which is essentially your intestines. You go from a neutral estrogen dumped into the bile, into your intestines, and then, of course, you are supposed to excrete most of it out. But if you have an unhealthy microbiome, lots of gas bloating, constipation, diarrhea, microbiome issues, bugs, bacteria, parasites, then you may actually end up absorbing your estrogen versus excreting it, and now you have to do the whole process over again, and the body gets frustrated, and you get symptomatic. So it's the water, it's the drain, and it's the sewer line, your phase one, your phase two, and your phase three. So I teach it in that direction from the water, drain, sewer line, but of course you address it, you treat it three, two, one. You want to unblock your sewer line, right? Unclog that. Then you want to open your drain and then you want to address the water. Because think about your bathtub. If you just keep addressing the water, you just keep trying to shift the water, slow the water down, change the water color, but your drain and your sewer line in your house are backed up, you're still going to overflow. You're still going to have a hot, wet mess all over the floor. So you have to start with the sewer, start with the intestines and then work backwards. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And it makes it makes so much sense, especially to somebody who doesn't really understand the 2416. What does all that mean? Uh, you just think of this bathtub analogy, and you can listen to this over and over again to really understand what uh, Carrie is talking about here. So what, how important is it to be going every day and pooping? What are the dangers of somebody who is constipated? What, what are the dangers of constipation? So if you're an estrogen, when, when you're an estrogen and you're, you've, been, you've been used up and you've gone through the water and through the drain, basically, so my analogy is the bo- you know, your body puts it in a box, ties a bow on it, sticks it in your stool and is like, all right, time to go out, time to go on the boat, <laughs> like out of the sewer line and out of the intestines, right? But when you're constipated, the box sits there and then what happens is it gets opened up and the estrogen gets reabsorbed because you're just, it's just sitting there, just sitting there in your intestines and your body, you know, unravels the bow and now you reabsorb it. So you thought you were estrogen dominant because your body was making too much, but really what's happening is you are reabsorbing the naughty estrogen that was tagged to get eliminated. It's not getting eliminated. It's just sitting there because you're constipated. So it gets reabsorbed. And now it circulates all over again. And men and women have high estrogen type symptoms. And so you have to be pooping every day because you need that sewer line open, just like you need the sewer line open to your house. If the sewer line in your house is clogged, every single drain in your house will back up. And it smells and it's disgusting. And it's the same in the body. If you're not pooping every day, then you're constantly going to be reabsorbing, not just estrogen, although that's our topic. You're going to be reabsorbing lots of chemicals, lots of toxins, lots of things that maybe you don't want to because it was tagged to be excreted. It was tagged to go, but it's coming back in and recirculating around. So what are some things that you could share here to help somebody who's constipated right now? Right, right now <laughs> at this very moment, this very moment. <laughs> they're driving in their car listening to this <laughs> they're like what do I, what should i do <laughs> hydration is huge i find as you probably do too a lot of people are really underhydrated. in fact they'll listen to this podcast and they'll go oh man i haven't had but maybe half a cup of water today or hmm, i've had a cup of uh, coffee but i have had no water i should probably hydrate so hydration is hugely important diet is hugely important americans in well really all, all first world countries we're lacking in fiber You know, we've got to get our fiber and we've got to eat our veggies. Very, very important for helping bulk up our stool and move it out of the body. And of course, 
the hydration to continue that process along. Fixing our microbiome is really important, the terrain of our intestines. So eating a diverse diet, eating organic, avoiding things that are sprayed because the spray will affect our microbiome, our gut bugs. You know, looking at things like prebiotics and probiotics or looking at fermented foods, if that works for you. So, and notice I haven't even said anything, like I haven't talked about a medication, I haven't talked about an herb, I haven't talked about, you know, a supplement, like everything can be done a lot through some of these changes. Getting good sleep, getting good sleep. People don't realize this. When you are not sleeping well, it puts the body in a state of fight or flight and stress, right? You're, you don't wake up repaired, you don't wake up refreshed. And so it slows the whole GI tract down because if you're running from a tiger, now is not the time to be like, oh, you know what? Like, I think I need to have a bowel movement right now. Like, no, 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 you gotta like run through your day. <laughs> You've gotta get moving. So I tell people addressing your stress, being mindful, whatever that means for you, getting good sleep, hydrating, lifestyle, fiber, all of these are just the very, very basics. People will ask me, well, can I just take magnesium? You can, but if you're not going to address anything else, it's never going to be fixed. You know, people will say, well, oh, can I take this stimulant, this, this stool, you know, stimulant? I'm like, well, you can, but it's not going to, if you don't address everything else, the basics, then you're, you're really going to struggle. Other things people don't remember or think about are like thyroid. When you have hypothyroidism, even subclinical, even like a little bit kinda, it slows everything down, right? It slows hair growth down, it slows metabolism down, it slows skin turnover down, it slows down your GI tract. And so by getting your thyroid properly tested and addressed, however that means, can be really helpful for the GI tract. Those are some solid tips right there. Right, like so the so that person who's driving in the car right now, you better hopefully you've bought water, you know, your stainless steel water bottle. Yes, yeah, not plastic. <laughs> yeah. Not plastic, and you just you drink the whole thing. <laughs> hydrate yeah, yourself. Hydrate yourself and do all the things that she or some of the things whatever resonated with you, with you that Carrie just mentioned. Uh, there was a couple of things you said there. Sleep is very important, also because the liver is very active overnight. It dumps bile overnight, and that's where your toxins are. That's important to make sure you have that activity going on. Uh, and then you also mentioned the thyroid. So what I've seen is I, I work a lot with clients who have um, mercury toxicity. I've had it myself. Mercury has an affinity for that thyroid gland. So if somebody has a mouthful of amalgam fillings, that's also something that needs to be addressed properly, of course. Uh, but there's some things that you could piece together. Like if you have a mouthful of silver fillings, you're not drinking water, you're constipated, like there's some things to work with there. I want to talk about two types of women because I have most of my clients are, are women. A lot of my audience is mostly women and I work a lot with women and I teach the keto diet. But the way I teach the keto diet is not the way a lot of people teach it. It's, it's very different. I teach keto flexing. I think it's important to teach the body to burn fat for fuel most of the time, but not all the time. I think it's important to get a spike of healthy carb, insulin spike from healthy carbs from time to time, especially women I, I work with that are having their monthly cycle. The way I teach them to do it is, hey, seven days leading up to your period, I don't want you to practice keto. I don't want you to practice fasting. I want you to eat these foods, squash, ancient grains, some citrus fruits that's going to help you stimulate some more progesterone to help of a, a monthly cycle. So that's the way I teach it. And I want to share that because I also want you to share for those women who have a monthly cycle what are some ways to do keto 
that are going to help them get the results of burning fat for fuel, but are not going to be too restrictive where it affects their hormones. Do you have any advice for them? I was going to say, see, that's what I love that so much. And I love that you teach that because obviously, of course, I follow you on Instagram. So I see what you say. And I think that's so important because what I hear is I will hear some women, no, not all, but I will hear some women who will write me and go, I did keto. I did it a hundred percent. I, you know, had the strips. I followed these experts. I, you know, I was diligent about it and I, you know, maybe they, you know, lost weight or got more energy or got the brain clarity, but their hormones tanked out. And we will see this because I work for a lab company. I will see it written on the form. So pe lots of patients will send the test back and as one of the, you know, as the medical director, I get to read over a lot of people's tests and they'll say, tried keto for four months, hormones feel horrible. You know, did keto for six months, can't get pregnant, don't ovulate. You know, and so I'll see all these things and it's, you know, a couple of reasons, like maybe they didn't do it right. You know, I, I, they're not my patient, so I don't know how they did it. But on the other hand, I find, or I feel it's that exact thing. I think in, just for some women that doing, I guess, all out or complete keto is too much for them. For, you know, it affects their brain signaling down to their ovaries or their adrenals or their thyroid and they fall apart. They do great the first couple months, you know, because they usually cut out the crap. They cut out sugar and they cut out, you know, refined carbs and they reduce their alcohol significantly and they drink lots more water and they're more aware. And then after a while, the body's like, oh, I don't like this. This is too much. Like, I'm not making a baby. No way. I'm not ovulating. No way. And by when I watch you, when you talk about flexing, I'm like, yeah, that's so awesome because it's those seven days before the cycle when the progesterone is supposed to be the highest and it's affecting our, you know, our blood sugar and our insulin as women. We're in, we're in a constant state of dynamic flux if we cycle and by getting that flexibility, then the body doesn't need to freak out. It doesn't need to stress out. It's like, oh, she totally had, you know, squash today and she had citrus and she had whatever, quinoa and, and, and like, okay, like, all right, well, good. We're good. Like met the demands, not feeling like I'm too stressed out. It's going to be okay. And I see that when women do that, they tend to do so much better. They tend to feel so much better. Absolutely, there are women who are going to listen to this and go, well, I do all keto all the time and I feel great. I have normal hormonal issues. I'm like, great. You're not who I'm talking to. <laughs> You're not who I see. You're not the one running the Dutch test and writing your complaints on the requisition form. But for all the women who are, and even men, even men too, I have men that say, you know, I did strict keto. I was very diligent. I followed how you're supposed to do it. And my thyroid did this or my cortisol did this or I feel horrible. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you need some flexibility as well. I love it. Great, great stuff, Carrie. And <laughs> for, for men too, even for myself, I flex out. I don't do it as often as I would tell somebody, a woman who has her monthly cycle. But for my male clients, I tell them, look, we don't want you to stay in ketosis all the time because, well, first of all, if you study ancient culture, there's not one culture in the history of this world that ever stuck with one diet strict long term. They always adapted to their environment. So just knowing that fact that we're, we're meant to adapt our cells, love that adaptation because when we force the adaptation, the cells that we have in our body, they get stronger. The bad cells don't adapt. And that's something I learned from my coach, Dr. Pampa. So adaptation is key. And also the dangers of staying in ketosis too long, months and even years for some people, when you have chronically low insulin levels, you don't get any insulin spike and that helps T4 convert to T3. All of a sudden, you're getting your, your thyroid is dysfunctioning or you're having low amounts of T3 and you don't feel good. You're storing fat. So everything we're talking about here is not 
a cookie cutter approach. It's things we've seen, things we want to share, some pieces to the puzzle for the audience to listen to and, and see what resonates with them. But there's not one way to do keto. There's not one way to do any of this. It's very customized to the person. Yeah, absolutely. Even like leptin, I will have women who have too low of leptin levels. We talk about leptin resistance, you know, all the time, similar to insulin resistance, but absolutely leptin is a key trigger for ovulation. It's a key trigger for that that hormone in the brain to talk down to the ovaries, the GnRH. And for those women who are very low leptin, they'll say, I have all sorts of cycle issues. I have all sorts of fertility issues. I'm irregular cycles. I have no cycles. I can't ovulate. I'll check their leptin. Sure enough, it's, it's, you know, in the way low single digits. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is a big trigger. It's a big signaling hormone. It's a fat hormone. And, but when it's really low, if you have really low, especially if you're really low fat count or fat percentage, then it doesn't have the oomph to kind of tell the brain like, all right, we're good. We have enough energy reserves to have a cycle. She's strong enough to carry a baby. Even if the woman doesn't want a baby, I'll have, you know, women are like, well, I'm not trying to get pregnant. I just want my cycle. I'm like, I know that. But the brain is like every month it's about reproduction, whether you want it or not. That's how we have to think. And so if the leptin is too low, if the insulin is too low, then we're not going to get these triggers of she's in a healthy enough state for us to, to maintain a pregnancy so let's not make those hormones. Plus, she's going to be hungry all the time. And mean. And mean and just <laughs> irritable. Yeah. We don't want to be around somebody with low leptin. That's not going to be fun. Yeah. All hormones are pulsatile. They're meant to spike and go back down. They're not meant to just stay down or stay high. They're meant to, to be pulsatile. So I have so many more questions for you. Um, I, I want to talk about a, a cycling woman. Let's stay on the topic of cycling women, and then we'll talk about postmenopausal. A cycling woman who has heavy periods, what are some things they can do to, to help with that? Absolutely. So heavy periods for a couple of reasons. The three big ones, I would, um, well, three and a half big ones. So is it because you have low progesterone? Is it because you are iron deficient? Is it because you have low thyroid? And then we just want to make sure, depending on how heavy you are, you don't have a bleeding disorder. So assuming it's not a bleeding disorder, what we're looking for then are iron, thyroid, and estrogen. So for women, first and foremost, a lot of women are just not in tune with their cycle. They assume they ovulate every month. They actually have no idea. Because I'll have women go, well, I, I get a period every month. Like I know, but that doesn't actually tell me if you ovulate, you can have what's called an anovulatory cycle, which you don't release an egg. Why is that important? Because when you release an egg, that's when you make progesterone and progesterone is our calming, soothing, everything is going to be okay hormone. It's also the counter to estrogen and makes us have nicer, not so heavy cycles, right? When we have enough progesterone, our bleeding is usually really easy and really straightforward, not full of clots not very thick. And so we want to release an egg. We want to make progesterone. So we have that uh, balance. Now on the flip side though, some women just have lots of estrogen. We talked about the constipated woman earlier. So if you are recycling a lot of estrogen, you're going to be very estrogen dominant. That makes things grow and get fluffy. Well, then it has to bleed off. So while this thick fluffiness comes off and it usually results in heavy periods, you know, lots of clots, and it's exhausting because there goes, you know, as well, there goes all your iron because you bleed with the more you bleed out, the more iron you bleed out with it. And so, so correcting estrogen progesterone, but finding out if you ovulate is big. Do you, and that's looking at symptoms, that's tracking temperatures, you know, that's understanding, you know, do you get the twinge, like sort of like in the lower quadrant of your abdomen in the mid cycle? So just sort of just sort of paying attention. And it's amazing the number of women that go, Oh my gosh, some months I do and some months I don't. I'm like, I bet some months you have good periods and some months you have bad periods. She's like, yep, I absolutely do. So paying attention is a big one for that. Now, how do you get yourself to ovulate? 
you need good brain communication down to the ovaries. So we're looking at things like B vitamins. We're looking at things like vitamin B6. We're looking at things that will support the cells that make progesterone. Those are your carotenoids. They're called lutein cells because they're high in lutein, right? So eating, eating the, the colorful uh, foods, the oranges, the reds, um, even some of the green foods that are high in carotenoids, high in lutein, can be really, really helpful. Supporting the cellular health, looking at your oils, picking the healthy oils, avoiding the, you know, kind of the, the fried vegetable oils, looking at fish oil, getting to get your, uh, your cells really healthy so they can communicate with each other through these hormones. The other big one is just circulation. When you are trying to communicate from the brain to the ovaries, it's done through circulation. So if you were a tight muscled, you know, like shoulders uneven, got your shoulders up here when you work all day long, you've got your head jutted forward because you're on your computer or looking down at your phone all day. When you're, you know, we've got all sorts of um, bones, if your bones are out of alignment, you know, if you just, if you're just a hot mess up in this area, then you're not going to be able to circulate your hormones very well. So I tell people, you may need to, you know, really work on massage, acupuncture, chiropractic, you might really need to see a physical therapist, you might need to do a lot of upper body stretching, you might need to do Epsom salt baths, hot baths to bring the shoulders down, to relax the muscles, do inversion poses if you're into yoga, you know, doing exercise, get the blood flow going. I know I'm saying a lot of things, but a lot of these things are, are pretty straightforward and basic. Like learn if you ovulate, untangle your shoulders from out of your ears, seek help if you need it, get the communication going through circulation, and that'll really help estrogen and progesterone. Now, of course, there are things you can take to improve it, right? You can take progesterone. You can, there are herbs that help you make progesterone, but you can take progesterone all you want, but if you don't address the cause, then you're never gonna actually make it yourself or make it in healthy manners. Yeah, great, great tips. I love that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to postmenopausal women. Yes. Postmenopausal women usually have low progesterone and estrogen, correct? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Yep. So what are some things they could implement to help them feel better and just get better, better results with their health? So once the ovaries are done, yeah, just like you said, the estrogen and progesterone go really low, and it's the adrenal gland's job to pick up the slack. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, HPA axis, picks up the slack in a sense. So I tell women going into menopause, you have to be super diligent about your stress response, how you handle stress, your self-care in your day, your sleep cycle, your exercise, your diet. You have to be even more diligent than you were in your 20s and 30s and early 40s. Because what happens is women go into menopause and they go, I don't understand. I didn't change my diet. I didn't change my exercise. And now I'm 49 and I have hot flashes and night sweats. I've put on 15 pounds and I feel like crap. What did I do wrong? I'm like, you did nothing wrong. You entered menopause. It's reverse puberty. It sucks. I don't know why we have to go through it. When I'm the goddess of the universe, I will change it. But I'm not there yet. So what I tell women is because it's like reverse puberty, you have to just take extra care of yourself. You have to be, you know, if you've been always doing what you always did, it's time to change it up. If you've always had the same kind of diet, it's not working. Like let's start experimenting with some other stuff. If you've always done the same exercise plan, you run three miles, three days a week, and that's not working. It's probably too much cardio. Let's change it up. Let's start doing some weights. Let's start doing maybe some hit. Let's add in some yoga or stretching, you know, like let's, let's, Let's see what we can do here. Let's do self-care. And then let's do herbal support. Let's do herbal support like ashwagandha. Like these are 
These are more, um, we call them adaptogens. So they sort of support the whole body, right? Let's look at things like rhodiola. Let's look at things like eleutherococcus. Let's look at some of the traditional menopausal herbs like sage, like black cohosh, like donkwai, like, which is angelica. Like some of these just nourishing all around cordyceps, the mushroom cordyceps, maca. There's some really great herbs out there that are super supportive for brain health, adrenal health, menopausal women as they're making this transition and it sucks, right? Yeah, now, yeah. there are women that are listening who are like, well, mine's great. I'm like, oh, well, that, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> but th these things can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I'm glad I'm a guy. <laughs> I know, I have so many men that tell, my husband says that too all the time. My husband's always like, God, when you go through menopause, that's gonna suck. I'm like, hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks, honey. <laughs> I know, I know. The, the two owners of Dutch were, and I are, were the same age. And their wives were all roughly with the wives are roughly within, I think, probably five years of each other. So the two owners are like, great, our two wives and the medical director <laughs> at the same time. Like, yep, we're working on we're working on a, a cure. It's not my joke. We're working on the cure for menopause. <laughs> well, that would be a moneymaker. <laughs> it would be a moneymaker. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think mean, it's, just, it's just a time for women. They, they really have to just, you know, they can't fake it anymore. You know, if they're drinking two or three glasses of wine a night, like you can't do that in menopause. Mm. Not, you know, not if you're symptomatic, if you're really enjoying that sugar binge more than you should. Like you just can't in menopause. You, you've got to tighten the sails and really pay attention. I, uh, so we have a few minutes left. I want to make sure I get to this last question and then I have uh, two quick questions to, f to finish up with. So when I met my girlfriend about four and a half years ago, she was uh, on the birth control pill. And when I found out like 30 days into the relationship, I was like, uh, I was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Surprised. And also I didn't know how to talk about that subject because I was very passionate about uh, being against the birth control pill. And I've studied and what it would have done to a female's health and hormones. And, and even to this day, I talk about it, but I'm a guy and it's different when a guy talks about it versus a woman, especially a doctor. So I'd love for you to share about the dangers of the birth control pill real quickly. We don't have to get into it deeply. But to, to go back to my girlfriend real quick, um, a few months into the relationship, I gave her some research, I, gave, I explained to her, and she's been off of it for uh, since, since then. And her hormones regulated, and she's felt so much better. So I wanted to just close that loop. But what are some of the dangers of the, of the birth control pill? Well, I mean, I'll be honest, I'll start out by saying that I'm not against the birth control pill, um, only in the fact that it's not, I, give, I give women, just like you did, I give them the information, and then it's their decision. Sometimes the pill is they think is the best thing for them, and we're just going to... Uh, risk factor mitigate, right? We're just doing the best we can. And other women are like, nope, this is not for me. You're correct. I'm going to go off and let's find me something else. So dangers of the birth control pill. Definitely lots of research coming out about it, how it changes women's mood. It changes the way they see their partner. It changes the way they assess danger in a situation. It changes their microbiome in their gut. So it affects their gut health. It affects their blood sugar and insulin. It drives their testosterone down. So they go on the birth control pill so they can, a lot of women will go on the pill so that they can have uh, sex without worrying about becoming pregnant, except their testosterone drives down. So now they're not in the mood and they're depressed on top of it. It can increase weight because of that whole blood sugar insulin thing. Um, it could potentially increase the risk for things like blood clots, which of course is very scary. Oral estrogen um, can thicken can thicken the blood and in, uh, affect the way we form clots in the body. Um, it can change the health of our vaginal microbiome. So I talked about the gut microbiome. It could absolutely affect that. I've had women with chronic yeast infections, chronic BV, chronic just itchiness, and they can't figure it out. Should I go on? The list keeps going. Yeah, no, my, my girlfriend experienced a lot of that. She had the yeast infection. So yeah, uh, I just wanted to just 
for you to share that. And just the, the goal is not to just scare people and say, get off your pill. That's not the answer. It's to maybe do a little bit of some research and get and, and learn a little bit about what it's doing to the body. So you did a, a great job. And especially if women are listening to this going, I have a lot of those symptoms and not one doctor has told me it could be my birth control pill. That's what irritates me when they're like, I have chronic migraines and I have whatever, chronic yeast and I've gained weight. Do you think it's my pill? And they're like, no, that's not it. Like, really? Are you sure? Because it might be. Maybe go off the pill and, and, and give it a couple months and see if all those things go away. My girlfriend's doctor, when she was a teenager, I think she was like 15, put her on the birth control pills because she was having acne and heavy periods. And she stayed on it until she was 26, 27 years old. Uh, and, it, and it really messed up her hormones. And she's still working on balancing it. Uh, okay, well, we're running out of time here. I just want to ask you two questions. Uh, n- number one, what are you grateful for today? My dog, <laughs> Hank. <laughs> Hank, my dog, Hank, who has been like, I'm trying to be all cool up here. Is Meanwhile, as he's like all over the floor down below me. <laughs> we just adopted him in June. So oh. he is a huge burst of oxytocin the, the last couple months. So big fan of my dog, Hank. Yeah, right on. Hank, I saw him earlier. He's beautiful. <laughs> what are, what's the most exciting thing that you're working on right now? Ooh, education. So Dutch has really taken on a big education role. We realize that there is a need for more uh, specialized and specific directed um, endocrine education. There are a lot of conferences out there that cover a gamut, right? They have, you can choose tracks, you can, you'll maybe get one women's health um, topic out of the entire conference. And we're really trying to teach people endocrinology as it relates to ovarian, testicular, and adrenal health and be very concentrated about it. So if you want to really understand all there is to know about women's health. Like we are trying to provide that education. That's what we're rolling into in 2020. And I couldn't be more excited because we get this feedback all the time and we're going to do it. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Your, your work is great. Dutch is a great company. I really am a big fan of the testing. So go check out the Dutch test. Where can they learn more about you and the Dutch test? At, well, Dutch test is dutchtest.com. So that's easy. And all the videos, webinars, everything on their podcasts, including this one will be are up um, on, you just, scroll through the links. And then for me, I'm all over Instagram. Absolutely. It's Jones. Yeah, definitely follow her on Instagram. I'm going to put a link for her handle down below and the Dutch test and everything we spoke about. We'll have the resources down below. We have uh, a a great podcast notes person, Rachel, who puts everything down below. She does a great job. Uh, I want to acknowledge you, Carrie, for being a great educator, and I've learned so much from you over the years. You're also very funny. (laughs) You're funny, you're a great educator, you care about people, and you really put out brilliant work. I've studied you for a few years uh, via the FDN practitioner course, and I've learned about you through that. And I thank you for spending part of your day with me and all the women you continue to help, and all the women I help is a result of you. So I wanna say thank you, and I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, Ben, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, it's been a real honor. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Carrie Jones. Go check her out. Check out the resources that we put in the podcast notes. We have timestamps. We have links. We have everything mentioned on this episode in the notes of this podcast. Okay, so make sure you take advantage of that. We have a podcast show notes expert who is putting this all together. Rachel's putting this all together for you. So take advantage of those notes and links in the podcast episode and go check out Dr. Kerry Jones' work. I know you got a lot from that. And please share with us, write a review on Apple iTunes about this podcast. Give us a rating, give us a review. It really, really does help the show and I would appreciate that so very much. If you'd like to get a free 12-page ebook, That's going to help you learn about healthy keto, 
healthy fasting, right? How to do it the right way. We talked about this on the episode today. Then head over to ketokickstartguide.com. It's a 12-page ebook. There's also some meal plans in there and recipe guides over at ketokickstartguide.com. If you're not subscribed to the Keto Camp YouTube channel, head over to youtube.com slash ketocamp and subscribe. We release a brand new video on there about every other day. You could also watch the video interview with Dr. Kerry Jones over on that YouTube channel. And if you'd like to get support and coaching on all of these health pieces we talk about to master fasting, to master your hormones, to master the ketogenic diet, sleep, and so much more, then we have the exact platform for you. And you could join from anywhere in the world over at the Keto Camp Academy. There's 120 plus videos right now. There is new content being uploaded every single week. This content is not something you could find anywhere else but in the academy. There's also meal plans, keto grocery shopping guides, and you also get a monthly coaching call with me for just around a buck a day. And you could take advantage of this by going to ketocampacademy.com and trying us out for seven days for absolutely free. That's ketocampacademy.com. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode with Dr. Kerry Jones and myself. I really appreciate you. You'll hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.